Hi everyone, this is episode 4 of season 4 and today Roy McLaughlin is back and we have Joe Elphick from Legal and General with us. Hi Roy, hi Joe. Afternoon. Hi. Today we're going to be talking about group insurances and how gender can have an influence upon engaging with insurance. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. How are you both doing? How's everything going for you at the moment? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. The sun's out a little bit at the moment. The rain stopped, so um, it's feeling good. That's good. How about you, Roy? How's everything? Yeah, no, absolutely fine. Isn't it nice? Nice for the sun to come out in July, which is what it says on the packet. Yeah, exactly. I did um, the thing yesterday. I went to collect my kids from um, their cricket summer camp. And um, we saw there was a thing saying it might thunder and lightning at some point. And it was just like, okay, well, it look, it's looking all right, you know. And so we did the thing of thinking, oh, we'll just, you know, the one time that you, you think I'll trust the weather, uh, sort of yeah. like um, channels and everything. So went out and, you know, lovely strappy sort of like summer top and everything clearly started really raining and thundering on the way back so we got in and I put a fire on because we're also soaked through and then Alan by the time Alan walked home he it was obviously glorious sunshine again he walked in, he was like you've got a fire on it's July and I was like don't even start with me we just walked home in a big <laughs> thunderstorm just <laughs> we're having a moment and uh, yeah it felt good it felt nice nice and warm and toasty so, Joe, I understand for some uh, recent research that women and men tend to sort of view financial support in quite different ways, you know, especially if it was maybe considering things that you can get maybe through the state and then possibly what you would maybe get through insurances. Can you take us through uh, what the research has been showing? Sure. It's, it's really interesting. Uh- a piece of work that we conducted really just to understand why there's a lack of engagement in many cases with benefits in the workplace. And we did find some interesting contrast between men and women and maybe some of those things that we wouldn't necessarily have thought would have existed have started to emerge. So what we did find was that um, women are more aware of the fact that they are likely or we are all likely to um, or less likely to receive benefits from the state. And if we do that they aren't particularly um, useful or won't go very far. So that was kind of a good thing. But contrasting to that is what we did find was that they don't really understand and appreciate group protection benefits. So the benefits around income protection, we asked about income protection and critical illness and um, EAPs. And we looked at why. So why is it that this is happening? Um, And the answers included, I don't read all the company information. There's just too much to take in. Um, Also, I just don't understand the benefit, which probably leads directly from the first response. Um, And then a couple of other really interesting ones is around my partner sorts out the insurances that we need. Um, And finally, a privacy concern where... um, in women's responses, they were concerned that their employer may get to know too much about their health or private life. And that was in particular um, relation to employee assistance programmes. I'd say that's quite interesting, that, isn't it, as well? Because generally with group insurances, we don't really, obviously, when we're advising on it, we're not particularly going to health. It's very rare in many ways that we would need to be going into that. Um, And... And I suppose so. It, I suppose it, maybe it's the value-added services or something that you know, obviously, such wonderful things. And maybe it's—I don't know—maybe a bit more clarification from 
employers and like HR departments that if people are engaging with these things and being involved with them, it's not suddenly that there's going to be like a secret messages passed back to the employer saying, oh, well, they've contacted us about this that they're worried about, or they're not feeling great, or they've had a moan about this or that. Um, I don't know. Roy, what's, what's your thoughts on it? Uh, uh, no, I, I, I totally concur. I've, I, I've experienced this lots of times. And actually, I think it's incumbent on the advisor, weirdly, to make it really, uh, you know, as clear as daylight that everything is totally confidential. And we need to deliver that message when we're first, firstly, you know, advising on them taking out the product, but the, but the follow-up point. And I think that over the last year, when people have been using the APs, one of the questions that comes up time and time again is, if I say something to this counsellor, if I say something to this person I've been in touch with, does it go back to anyone? And it's it's really important. We know that answer's no, but it's a very firm no. So I can see why that paranoia exists. But I think, you know, to come back to the to the communication point, that's incumbent on the advisor to, to, to you know, to make that uh, to make that very, very you know, very, very clear that absolute confidentiality exists. Um, I mean, Joe, I was going to talk to you about communications anyway. As an industry, mm. um, you know, I, I've, been, I've been around a, a, a bit longer than, than, than you two. I mean, we, we, we were accused of, um, you know, a bit of uh, sort of covert sexism, a bit of misogynism, you know, in terms of the advice that was given out. Do you perceive that that's changed? Are we getting the communications better in terms of the messages out to women in particular? I think it's improving because there is more now that recognises, I guess, the emotional benefits of of having these products in place as as much as that, you know, the, the fact that ultimately, you know, protecting your income is a means to an end, isn't it? It's, it's, it's just uh, in and of itself, it's probably not enough to motivate people to take action. I don't think we've done a great job in the group risk perspective, to be honest. I think a lot of the communications and maybe there's an interesting debate about regulation and, 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 you know, the nervousness around things that are construed as financial promotion is that you tend to have to communicate very much on a fact basis rather than finding ways to illustrate stories. And we all know in our, you know, in the work that we all do, the, the huge value of case studies in terms of bringing those stories to life, because that's the kind of communication that people relate to, not, you know, facts and figures and the kinds of things that are very easy to switch off from. Um, I think there's a massive opportunity that we need to make sure as an industry we don't miss it, which is this well-being piece. And, and just thinking about what you were just saying there, Roy, about employee assistance programmes, let's hope that we continue to see that engagement rise because these things can make such a massive difference to people. Um, I don't necessarily even think it's always just down to men and women and, and kind of what those roles are. It's just everybody's different and it's about getting to know them and what their motivations are um, and probably where they think their vulnerabilities are as well. There's, there's a lot to be said for people, you know, being more honest with themselves around that. So I guess my re remaining concern is that the response around partners covering the insurance conversation on a woman's behalf is that, if they don't know, then, you know, there's a big gap there, isn't there, in terms of the family being protected. They could be overprotected and, and not realise that. 
I think you're you're right with that. I mean, there's certain things you have to be involved in a few different conversations, and uh, and obviously where we are at, at Cure, obviously people tend to come to. So I think we get sort of like a bit of an unusual um, kind of perspective sometimes in terms of like people engaging and things like that, because yeah. people come to us typically at Cure because they've had, had a health condition or some kind of risk that has meant that they've struggled to maybe get insurance the usual route. So people just come to us because they have a very specific need, and obviously in terms of health and risk and everything, it's completely genderless. So we have pretty much you know almost a 50 50 split in terms of male and female but there are people that I do speak to in the advisor space who are much much more that they are speaking to men rather than the women and um and this is it's going to sound so stereotypical and I really don't mean to sound stereotypical or anything like that but I think it kind of goes back to that mindset sometimes that or or just the life circumstances where generally in sorry not saying every situation but I think a lot of the time it is the case of obviously if there's a woman and there's children she's probably the one that's sort of like juggling work but mainly possibly you know with the children as well so when it is time to to have some spare time to maybe speak to an advisor it's not really what she's doing if she's juggling work and the kids then it's probably going to be the male partner that would be a case of well I'm going to juggle work and then sorting out the finances um, yeah. I always find it quite difficult as well, though, because I'm the finance person for us. I, I, I do it all. But does Alan is Alan allowed to make any decisions? Catherine? He's allowed to make some decisions. I let him have some decisions every now and then. But no, every now and then, the thing is, we're quite ha- for us. We're quite happy with the yeah. way that we are because we we sort of like we do things and we set things up. But we're always chatting at the same time so I, I would never set up like an investment or anything on insurance without chatting to him when I was going through it and about every six months or so he suddenly comes up to me and says right I just want to know where everything is and we, we go through it all and make sure but not everybody's like that and obviously there, there are so many different aspects to it as well in terms of you know I, I think as well especially from an advisor point of view that we make sure that we are if we're speaking to somebody that we make sure that you know, the partners brought into the conversation at some point, or we maybe have some kind of communication in some, even if it's a case of, um, you know, if that partner's not available at the time, maybe they can be involved in email chains of some sort so that they can be aware, so that they can know where the discussions are leading to. I'm sure Royal probably have different approaches, but I mean, obviously I come from a, a telephone-based kind of a, a situation. But I think it's really interesting as well when we're looking at it potentially from, because uh, obviously I work with a lot of SMEs, especially in the group space but when we're sometimes talking about these big massive group policies that are done the advisor's ability to actually speak to the people that are on that you know in talking thousands of employees does become obviously significantly harder um and yeah right i'll let you uh, take over with with that kind of thing well, well no, i was going to say one of the interesting byproducts of, of the whole covid crisis is the use of the of zoom and what's been fascinating and, and, and many people have told these anecdotes is that you're suddenly meeting parts of the family you never met before because you're generally meeting people in their houses and you know i think a lot of people uh, in particular be meeting um you know wives and partners uh both sexes but but it tends to be more females that they never met before because they were too busy to your earlier point or they couldn't yeah. you know in, if you work in a busy city they, they didn't have time to come into the city and the great news for protection uh, of course is that when someone's in their house they have to go and find those policy documents that they normally claim that they can't find or they have to go and seek out the the pensions and ices that tend to be in those rusty old cupboards behind people where they get out and literally blow off the uh, blow off the dust but what we found is that um you know uh, I, th- I think everyone will accept 
there is more of a female leaning towards protection than male and actually being able to talk to the family unit because you're doing it by the, uh, the communication of Zoom or, or Teams or whatever it is, has helped protection because you, you are talking to everyone that's concerned. Um, and the classic one there, I have to say, is I think uh, broad, broad statement coming out, but I think if you ask the average guy his, to explain his death and service and his group income protection benefits, they struggle. Whereas, of course, if they're at home, they either have them there or you tend to find that their, their wife or partner um, sort of says, well, I'm sorry, I, I want to know what this is because it's in my interest. And here are these two lovely little kids here and it's in their interest. So interested byproducts sometimes. Uh, 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 I don't know, have, have, have legal and general found that as well, Joe? I think that's a really good point. And actually, um, on the individual side of the business, there was a really, really um, interesting story where um, a, a lady had called in to, she, her husband had sadly died uh, and she'd been going through through bank statements latterly to, to look at what the expenses were. And I'm massively abridging this here um, and called us to, to effectively stop a direct debit because she was trying to find ways to, to make ends meet. And she didn't know that she had a life or he had a life policy on her behalf. And if she'd not phoned us, having gone through, you know, her bank statements, she wouldn't have known she'd had that policy. And we know there was, you know, money in these policies waiting to be claimed. And she was beside herself because it, it, you know, it it taken all that financial burden. She's probably spent a couple of months being concerned about how she was going to cope. But had she known, if she'd been in a Zoom call with her husband, with with somebody five years previously, and she'd heard that, then she would have known that that was in place. And she's obviously had unnecessary, you know, suffering and and stress because she just didn't know it was there. So I I think it's a really good opportunity. You know, we're talking about levelling up as a country a lot, but to level up that protection agenda now through that direct access that you wouldn't have had necessarily before. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I know we said something we're probably going to try and not be too gender stereotyping and everything, but, you know, it is part of our you know, conversation today. I don't think we can uh, step away from it too much. So I think possibly going back a little bit to, to what I was mentioning before is obviously gender does seem to have an influence in terms of engaging, obviously group insurances, but also I think personal insurances as well. I tend to find when I'm speaking to people and um, maybe voices as well, but I tend to find that men feel that they should be insured for a lot more than women tend to feel that they should be insured for. <laughs> Um, but you know I'm, I'm sure there's lots of different things and I'm wondering in terms of like the group insurances you know it could be a case of like we were saying it, it, it might be that men obviously should, are engaging because obviously they want to know what's going to be available at times and um, they might be more likely to speak with financial advisor and it might be that women are more sort of taking career breaks mm-hmm. um, and like you were saying before as well Joe, in terms of like the marketing you know like with a lot of these things we're throwing kind of a lot of statistics at people and facts which I, I think is and again I'm going to probably get told off for people for stereotyping but I think that's possibly quite a male trait to like really like figures and things like that whereas women yeah. the case studies the things that really bring things, and I can see you smiling <laughs> but you know, I think that the case studies, the things that really hit home, I think I think women tend to sorry naturally move towards and sorry watch those things, even though I'm sure lots and lots of men do. And as an advisor, I do I can see why just smiling. I'm thinking I do obviously <laughs> give statistics to women and I do give case studies to men. But I just think I kind of like 
I don't know, we're kind of brought up, I think, sometimes as women to sort of have this natural thing in us to sort of, well, societal thing in us to sort of say, right, well, at some point you're going to be taking, you're going to be stepping away from work because you're having kids. And then at some point you'll be stepping away because you're going to be looking after parents. And it's, it's not like a said thing, but it's kind of a, a thing sometimes that we kind of instinctively know in the background. Um, but I don't know. What, what do you think, Joe? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. There are still, you know, huge, I guess, tendencies to make assumptions and 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 they're based on sort of decades of, of behaviours. And I think we're in quite a transitional shift at the moment. We're still, if I think back to sort of my parents' generation and there's such a big difference between even this generation and theirs and probably even ours and, and our own children. And then within those, you know, you think about the social norms, even when, again, just close your ears, Roy, this whole thing about men not going to the doctors as much, not that anybody can really do that as much as they maybe did before. But there are all these things that are very different. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, It's just that I think, you know, advisors, providers, communicators in businesses need to understand that different people respond to different prompts within different communications. So you can talk about the facts, but actually, you know, when it's a a conversation with the woman in the household or the woman that's making the decision to bring in those more emotive benefits and case studies as well makes a real difference. So I think you can do both. You don't need to sacrifice one for the other and have, you know, a blue pack of comms and a pink pack of comms. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, that no. Makes sense. <laughs> Although that's another stereotype that I can't bear. <laughs> I know. I'm picturing now those um, shopping centres where, like, people, you know, where it's like a, a blue NASA top or something and people yeah. have, like, picked them up and run them into the girls' section. I can't stand <laughs> that. My uh, my seven-year-old spent about a year or so in a bright pink unicorn top that was all, like, glittery and poofy and he was wanting to go to school in it and everything. And I was just like, you go for it just enjoy yourself why not but, but Joe <laughs> exactly. you, 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 you're spot on on GPs and I think most you know that most most men have a real issue going to their GP because they get too I don't, I don't know what the right expression is but I don't need a GP it will sort itself out and, and all that sort of stuff although ironically of course before one of you two says it we get uh, we get man flu which you two don't get but um, <laughs> it'd be it'd be fascinating to see the uptake for example on um virtual GPs and second opinion services yeah. and whether that's changed yeah. from a gender point of view. I don't know if these stats are available, but whether that's changed and whether mm-hmm. men in particular are going on and using virtual GPs uh, in a way that they wouldn't go and see their GP. But there's a there's a bigger picture here, of course, because they're saying that, uh, you know, if you look at the mental health issues uh, that are around, actually, uh, one of the um, one of the biggest groups that thankfully we've now identified but people weren't talking about was was men between 45 and 55 now traditionally probably being forgotten in that in that in that space but actually some of the issues because of loss of job and, and so on and so forth this is exactly the age group who wouldn't go and seek help because it was you know pull yourself together you'll be okay it'll be fine tomorrow go and have a drink you know those 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 ridiculous stereotypes so again maybe you know, it's it's. I'm loath to say some goods come out of COVID, but you, you get my point. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe some of these things have changed the way society, uh, you know, looks, and and that includes that, that engagement with with mental health in particular. Yeah, I I completely agree. And and another behaviour which you know women chat to their friends more um, makes a difference, not just from a mental health perspective, but if you know if a woman then decides to make a decision about a financial product and she happens to talk about that to her friends that's a big you know there's a big it's that network effect isn't there that 
you know, a guy might not be having the same conversation in the pub. It might be a different thing. So there's, a, I think, a, a really big opportunity through cutting through that communication and that noise that we talked about um, for it to start to kind of power its own levels of interest as well, which, you know, it could only be good news for advisors. Absolutely. I mean, there is a parallel to be taken from the pensions industry because you know, up until relatively recently, uh, pensions didn't form part of the divorce settlements and, and now they do and quite rightly so and there's new rules to do with divorce but what that's prompted is is and uh, uh, hopefully most of the advisors listening to this really bang this drum is that financial independence is key uh, we have the same we have the same issue with single life policies of course Catherine I know we talked about that in a, in a, in a different podcast but I think you know when we're talking to couples we still say for example it's really important you both have pensions just in yeah. case is you know you should have single life policies just in case and I think you can talk to people as a family unit but equally you you, you know whether we like it or not one has to talk about if separation occurs what what happens and that was the again sorry to say this but that was the sexist nation of, of a lot of financial advice that it was it was far too screwed to, to you know towards to, towards the male mm. yeah. no, absolutely I think you know it's when we're having like these conversations just for obviously for advisors who are listening and are not sure what to do. And I know this is probably moving a little bit away from the group conversation, Mm -hmm. but in in terms of sort of like when we're chatting to people, it is just that case of, you know, sort of like saying, well, you know, I was going to say it's when I, when I've had people that I've spoken to, I tend to, it tends to be more like if I speak to women and I'm saying, well, we need to speak about the the male as well, that it kind of straight away is, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Or, or the other partner, not saying it's specifically male. Um, yeah, but it yeah. tends to be sometimes, obviously, when we speak to men and, you know, if they may be the higher earner or something, it's a case of, well, everything's to do with, you know, kind of like it's to do with me because obviously mm. I'm the higher earner and I bring this in. Mm. And it's just sometimes you do need to just, you know, possibly even have some training of some sort and sense as to how to challenge those perceptions. And to maybe just say, well, actually, it's painting those scenarios. You know, I think yeah. we, we can all paint those scenarios and say, well, what's going to happen to your family if this occurs you know, and things like that? But it's also doing that other thing as well. So, like for the stay-at-home partner, maybe he's looking after the kids or something. It's, it's then changing the conversation to say, well, okay, then I understand that you're maybe the breadwinner. But then if your partner who's stay-at-home with the kids, if something happens to them, so what's going to happen? Are you going to um, reduce your hours, which means you're going to have to significantly reduce your income. So obviously you can look after the children. Um, also, then that's going to have a knock on to your pensions, everything like that. Or are you going to be paying for like a, almost like a living nanny in some ways? Because obviously the stay-at-home parent will yeah. be intensely involved in organising that family and the children. And I think it's as an advisor, it's, it's really important to have kind of like an arsenal of all these different situations that you might need to bring to somebody. Cause, and it can be really hard. And sometimes people can just be very, very single minded as to what they want to do. But I think ultimately, if there's someone who's going to be benefiting from a policy, then it kind of it kind of just naturally makes sense to say to them, well, actually, it's really important that they know, because if something happens, you want them to benefit from this. So if something happens to you, they need to know who I am so that they can come to me and they know I'm going to help them with that next step, next you know, stage of the process in terms of a claim, you know, yeah. take away all the stress. So it's, it's kind of like a bit more of an extension as to the service that an advisor is saying. So an advisor is there saying, I'm here to give you all of this to help you and to, to make sure that if a claim goes ahead, that it's going to go ahead. But it's not just that. It's also making sure that the person who's going to benefit from it, from it which is usually um, a partner of some sort, um, is going to know. And I, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe Roy has a slightly different tack that he takes, but I think that that's just a really important approach. 
No, I, th- I think it's spot on. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm very, very impressed that finally in all these podcasts you mentioned Arsenal. So, uh, you know, oh, it's, no. it's, it's, it's taken us two years, but, uh, you know, good on you. Um, no, it, it, it just got me It just got me thinking, and it's sort of, a, sort of another question to Joe, actually. You know, the communication of group benefits, as much as it is advisory, has to go generally through HR. Sometimes it's finance, mm-hmm. but it's generally HR. I mean, HR is dominated by females. Um, yeah. You know, uh, do you think there's there's, there's some some good stories there in terms of you know you talk about storytelling and, and as you know coming from the seven families background I am the biggest advocate of that. Yeah. Is, is there some good news here in terms of as we go into this new world, the fact that uh, you know we work alongside HR that, that, that there's there's it's it's heavily female dominated. I think that's a really good point, and and actually. <sighs> Everyone's busy, aren't they, these days? And part of it is is equipping HR teams with the ability to ask the right questions and think about a communication as what are the goals that we're trying to achieve here and think about them as, you know, as customers, as a marketer would think about customers. So I think there's often um, you sort of see something that's a piece of information which is not a piece of communication. If I know this thing, is that going to make me take, you know, take an action? Even simple things like calls to action and building those in um, are all important. Where the communication here, I know that's been incredibly sort of challenged in terms of businesses that have had to close their doors, but, you know, where where people spend their time and, and, and moving things around, changing the communications more frequently, that the whole thing around once a year is where I think, you know from a group protection it's just it's no help to anybody because you're not going to remember something that happened in a two-week window you need to be reminded um and again sort of thinking about that female population in HR what can we do you mentioned around maternity leave Catherine is that we need to be speaking to to women before they go on maternity leave to encourage them to keep their you know to keep abridged of what their protection is and potentially when they come back you know they might want to if they can add more benefits because obviously there's another mouth to feed and there's somebody else to protect there so rather than seeing that as right well that's an opportunity to switch off it's probably an opportunity to switch on absolutely I I had um, a thing where I spoke to somebody last year and they'd come to me because they're potentially wanting some income protection for the partner and I was speaking to her and I was just like well obviously for you and she was like oh well I had income protection but I cancelled it because I went on maternity leave and straight away, I was just like, because obviously she, she hadn't been my client at that point. And I was just like, okay, that's, it's fine. But not the ideal situation, but you know, kind of thing. But it's really interesting as well. So I was just looking at some of the statistics that came out and some of the research. And, that, and, and when you look at it, it's sort of like it's saying like in terms of all the respondents that came through and that, it seems that it was like, it seemed to be almost double the amount of men felt that say like critical illness cover just wasn't relevant for them at all compared to women. And yeah. pretty much the same when it came to income protection as well that I, I, maybe that goes back to that men are men are yeah. big machines that don't need any help or any support they're going to live forever kind of thing um but it, it is really interesting when we sort of like seeing this what, what's interesting is seeing that where it seems to be that more men don't think that is relevant to them but then when we look at statistics that say come out of the swiss retail and health watch when we're mm. looking at like the gender splits there women are starting to in a sense get a better proportion of like the comparison of how many women compared to men are, are insured. So women are gradually getting up there more and more, but yet, so more men are taking it out, but 
also more men also don't feel like it's relevant to them. It's very confusing. Maybe this is, comes down to this whole Mars Venus thing. Men, we just don't want you. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I suspect if we were having this chat in two years' time, those figures will be will be quite quite a lot different. Yeah. Uh, I think that indestructibility that that a lot of men felt they had has been massively disrupted by by this this situation. Look, there's none of us, unfortunately, that haven't been touched by this one one way or the other, whether it's physically or mentally. And I think that you will see a different attitude coming out. We've already seen it. I think you'll definitely see it with businesses, uh, a much more paternalistic attitude to that. And of course, that's good for group because mm. they will naturally be looking around and saying, how do we help look after our staff if this were to happen again? Um, and also don't underestimate staff retention uh, you know, issues. You know, I think employers are going to become more competitive now and they're going to want ways of keeping people more than they've ever done before. And, you know, let's face it, the days of company cars are gone and so on and so forth. So suddenly, suddenly benefits go right up to the top of the, uh, you know, the list. I think um, I was just going to sort of move on from just what you were saying a little bit there as well. So in terms of like, you know, how important these are, especially, you know, this last year has shown. So one of the things, obviously, we have um, group um, cover for, for our team and it was really lovely. And I think everyone just felt a bit of a sigh of relief, actually, over the last year that they had access to remote GPs throughout this last year and it was just obviously it's quite a few of us have children uh, but even the people without children it just it felt nice to just know actually if I need this I've got someone I'm not going to have to worry about when my GP can see me. I'm not going to have to go in somewhere and see somebody um, and, and it 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 just felt good, basically. And I mean, I used it for my children. It, there's a kind of thing, you know, and it's such a good example, you know, so like I can be on the system trying to get an appointment at eight o'clock at night because I've just got a query of some of my kids. And then the appointment I get is 12 o'clock the next day. I mean, you, you just don't get that generally. And to have that and to be able to access that for for yourself, for the partner, obviously, um, who's for the employee and the children is, um, is so important. I think sometimes, Joe, people get a little bit, um, confused in a sense as to how much the family and the children can actually access these things going forward as well. Yeah, I think so. And again, again it comes down to, um, well, with this one, it's probably small print a lot of the time. So it will tend to say in, in the more sort of terms and conditions type statements um, that it's available for family members. And then there may be something that talks about, you know, the age ranges in which um, family members can access these services because you you know you rightly say the GP service can be accessed by a whole you know the whole family there are still aspects within employee assistance programs where you know some of the really powerful things more recently where young people have really struggled with mental health through isolation and you know the poor things being stuck indoors and not able to see their friends for for months on end where you know some a child living at home from the age of 16 can access these services and speak to someone in confidence and get some support and some tools to help them and I think you know there's the real opportunity there to think about helping someone with their mental health at any age as Roy just said you know there's an issue with that 45 to 55 year old age bracket in men more but I had some real concerns about our young people this time last year because it's not you know, it's not good for them to to not be out with their friends and mm. they need to talk to their friends about these things. If they can't speak to their friends, they're not going to speak to their parents a lot of the time. So, yeah. I, yeah, I think the added value services have just really come into their own this last year and that can only be a good thing. The yeah, they, they've, been, they've been phenomenal. Uh, I mean, the other thing we, we, we should definitely ask you about, Joe, is, is early intervention because I, I have seen... Uh, 
you know, almost a revolution in the way that people use early intervention services um, and, and the positivity that comes out of that. What, what, how have LNG found that, you know, that, that? I mean, you, you, you were not only one of the first people to come out with this, you were certainly, as far as I know, the first individual office to, uh, to promote early intervention. What, what have your experiences been over the last 18 months? Yeah, again, really positive. Um, I think what we were able to do really quickly was um, actually a few things that we, with the partners that we work with from, from a support perspective, is, is they quickly were able to switch to a virtual model. Um, and again, that's interesting in terms of accessing people. Um, so in particular, if you think about counselling, you could argue that if somebody doesn't need to leave their house to get counselling, it's a lot easier for them to you know, find an hour of their time. Whereas if you've got to drive to some location and, and then drive back again and so on. And I think that's been proven to have worked incredibly well. We've had some really strong return to, to work rates in terms of people with mental health conditions um, and being able to get to them earlier in the, obviously in the, I guess the, the process as well. Um, we also introduced the long COVID support service, um, which we did really quickly as well and I know that that's that's getting really good engagement and usage through the employer to support the employee and we are you know it's a sad state of affairs but we are seeing that that is getting um getting used it's not something that we've put there just in the background people are engaging with that so um I think the thing is with early intervention it it the the usage and of different services ebbs and flows to reflect sort of um, illnesses and, and injuries and things that are impacting people's lives, doesn't it? So um, there in many cases in some organisations, engagement actually increased during the pandemic because they felt that their employer was doing a lot to help them. So you might expect to see a reduction in some services. But yeah, I think people are seeing it as a positive thing. Yeah. Um, that's what's changed. There's been a mindset change. Absolutely. Yeah. And in particular, I, I mean, I, I would just fly the flag for SMEs in particular you know when you mm. work for a big company it's you've probably got a very well-established HR department who probably have got a skill set have done training have got the right people working there to deal with uh you know their own internal early intervention by recognizing people and, and knowing what to do when you talk to smaller companies where often the HR department will be a one person or someone someone very very young it's almost been in, co-opted into HR they have a very understandable paranoia about how to deal with with uh, these situations and when you say to them look we can provide a service that will do this mm -hmm. for you the look of relief on their face i you know i i i, I can't tell you it's, it's it's so palatable because there is firstly there's a paternalistic uh, you know attitude to this which is we want to look after our staff but there is a there is an inset paranoia about you know how do they deal and they might have been on a, a, a legal course or they might have read something just about you have to be so careful how to manage these situations. When we come along and say, you know, alongside your group in protection or whatever it is, these early intervention services are there. And then you describe how the early intervention services work. That's the bit where their ears prick up. Yeah. Yeah. And picking up on that, the person, oh, sorry, Catherine. No, the no, no, I'll just quickly say the person that's dealing with it is often the line manager. And to your point, Roy, there may be concerns about employment litigation. You know, should I be contacting this person? Would that person receive that phone call in the right way? So to, you don't want to hand it over in terms of the responsibility, because I think, again, that paternal um, role has really, really increased massively. 
but you also want to make sure you're doing it the right way. And if that means you've got the support of an insurance company and all the experts they work with behind you, then that does masses for the confidence of the line manager. Absolutely. I, I really do feel that as well, especially as like Rose said as well in the SME space, because a lot of the time you have people who are doing their job, but are then obviously getting other things kind of thrown at them here, yeah. there and everywhere as need yeah. must kind of thing. And you yeah. do in start fact, to if you... worry. Yeah, in fact, if you said to most SMEs, uh, especially the S part of it, uh, go to your line manager, they'll go, what's a line manager? Because, you know, a company yeah. with 10 people in does not have a line manager. So, <laughs> no, so. absolutely not. Absolutely not. I was going to say, um, as we start coming towards the end of the of the podcast episode, so something that's, um, I think I'm probably going to end up on a sort of like a bit of a one-woman crusade with this. Um, but a big thing for me is that, obviously, we've been chatting about things. And what's really interesting is, again, if we're looking at the, the statistics side of things, you know, we can see that, women when they're looking at things and looking at critical illness, looking at income protection they're seeing more than men they're seeing that it's more relevant you know the, the stuff like they're thinking actually this is really important we should have this but we are seeing that the statistics of take-up is lower for women and um mm. and I remember chatting yeah. about this once on social not long ago basically saying that I really feel it's important that we we sort of you know like, if we have this information to make sure that we're like, educating women to know what these things are you know it's like how important they are and um, obviously majority of people are just like absolutely there was uh, one person I was kind of excuse me you're saying I'm uneducated and it was like no no we're not saying you're uneducated at all it's just that we, we can see and you know from from us guys who are here who are experts in this we can see that women haven't traditionally been putting sort of like you know real focus on this area and the, the, that's not to say that they don't on specifically understand it or that they're ignoring it or they don't class it as you know important but there's so many things in life that can come in and take time away from us from really focusing on these things and one of the things that I really feel would be a good idea is that, I mean obviously I think everybody here is probably a, a big income protection advocate is to sort of like have this more in like induction processes so obviously we're doing things like group insurance which hopefully means that in an induction stage someone is being made aware that the group insurance is there for them they can use it they can use the value-added services and all the information in terms of when it kicks in and everything like that but I kind of feel like as well you know should it just not be a part of everybody's induction it's a case of sort of like well we are a company that offers group insurance income protection or we're a company who doesn't offer this but you should really be looking at it. And it's so important that you have this kind of like, um, not as in like a sense of it to the extent of like everybody, you know, we should be auto enrolling everybody in pensions, even though that is incredibly important and did obviously was very, very good to happen. But I just feel like these discussions should be brought in so much earlier, or even at least that there's some kind of education towards the end of secondary school or college where people are given all this information because I don't think I know anybody really of that age and certainly at my age when I was sorry my age so when I was that age even um there was no way that I knew anything about income protection and stuff like that and I'm not that old that it wasn't around um when I was leaving college and things like that but um I do really feel that the that it's not just sort of like an insurance side it's obviously massively insurer massively advisor space but I do feel like we need to sort of try and tackle something more socially aware. we're sort of addressing this you, you you two would have read about the uh the CIA and ABI um uh promoting the idea of uh, to, to government of uh compulsory fit notes so when you go yeah. work for a company that they, they have to tell you what their sickness um is uh, what their sickness pay is, but also what their attitude to sickness are. And that's the time to, 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 to lace that message in. Interestingly, that idea was one that uh, um, 
came from the individual advisory community. Uh, would you believe this 10 years ago, but thankfully, you know, CIO and ABI have taken it on board now. I think I completely agree with you. I think that almost as part of your induction, there should be an education process about some of these the subjects. And again, I think that uh, one of the things I've been struck with, particularly when we did the seven families presentations, is the amount of HR people that don't know their sickness policy, let alone their staff. And I think this is, you know, the message to advisors is don't be worried, don't be, don't, don't be scared to, to engage with HR people and, and open this subject up for them. Because rather than a, oh, go away, you're being a nuisance, you're just exposing, I think you're going to find a completely opposite attitude, actually, which is, yes, we now should be telling our staff what SSP is, what you know? What what what? How universal uh, benefits were not as an advisory point of view, but as a signposting point of view. Yeah. Um, and I think that you'll find uh, you know a much more willing audience than so I think. Sometimes the problems in our head as to you know how receptive that's going to be. Absolutely, George. You have any kind of final thoughts that you would like to to leave us with at all? Yeah, I guess it's just reflecting on what you're both saying. There is, and I, I completely agree with you. If you think about that really important period in life whether you're either leaving school or college or uni or whatever it might be and you go into work and you just sort of find yourself in this new world of work and you're starting to get a pay packet coming in and you're thinking about you know maybe it's not jeans anymore it's you know whatever you've got to wear for your workplace and you find your way but the I think there's a role there to your point Catherine around education is what are the universities and the colleges doing to say right guys if you're lucky enough to get a job then you want to start thinking about protecting it because you're not going to be able to sort of go back to the bank of mum and dad, you're out on your own now. And that stuff that you're earning doesn't come from anywhere else. And likewise, with the induction, you know, I think about my second job, there was a chap working alongside me that actually was on a three day a week um, return to work type thing. Um, and I was working with him and didn't even know that that was something that was provided by the insurance company, because it hadn't been something that had been discussed with me. So it you know, I think if you actually did a survey of induction programmes, I think you'd find there's a huge opportunity there. So um, all the opportunities that we've got to communicate, we should be using them. Absolutely. Completely agree. Do you have any uh, final thoughts, Roy, before we uh, get towards the end? Oh, I, I think, I think you know, it, as always, the collaboration shown here is, is the way forward. I think it's really important that advisors and uh, insurers, you know, sync from the same hymn sheet, which, which clearly we do. And I think it's it's our job to help in that communication piece. I would say, you know, the plea is, and great news to see Peter Hamilton, by the way, appointed yesterday. The plea yeah, is yeah. is to is, is to government actually to to engage with us because you know we are at the coal face. We're meeting these employers, particularly SME employers, which let's face it, dominate the UK. You know, SMEs are 95 96 percent of the UK. If they if they could maybe talk to to us alongside you know insurers and and uh, distributors, uh, maybe may, maybe may I'm dreaming here, but. Uh, uh, you know, then we can get that message out. And the reason why I, I, I live in hope is auto enrollment. I think when auto enrollment was first invented, people said, oh, there's no way it's going to happen. Loads of people taking out pension schemes via their employer. It's not going to work in a million years. And of course, it has been so successful, 90% uptake. So people do listen. And remember the thing about auto enrollment, it's one's first financial services product that most people will ever take out. Why shouldn't their second be income protection? Yeah. Why shouldn't their third be death in service? Etc. 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 
Absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And obviously going back to what we were just saying then as well about, you know, engaging with people, especially possibly the younger generations, we do have the Income Protection Task Force um, have launched their Ziggy campaign to try and engage and encourage young people to, uh, to, to get involved via social media. So if anybody is obviously listening and not heard of that, why don't you uh, take a good look around? I think Twitter, Instagram as well, they're definitely on there sharing things and um, be good to obviously for people to give any feedback on that as well well um so that's pretty much the end of the podcast so thank you so much uh joe and roy for joining again thank you it's been a pleasure thank you very much um, I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks with Matt Van, and we are going to be going to have a, a good chat about skin cancer, which obviously feels very, very apt in terms of the time of year that it is. Even though a typical British summer, I'm pretty sure we've all had our five days of sunshine for 2021. But for anybody that's listening, if you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And as always, don't forget that if you've listened and you are working within the financial services space, um, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too, thanks to our sponsors, Octo members. Uh, so thank you both again, and I will speak to you soon.